podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast on deadline day. It is February 1st, 2021. You've made it through January, so congratulations. We are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, so do check out their services at LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company uh, located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, um, we've got 10 games in the weekend. Want to get through those. And then there's obviously quite a bit going on today. It's my favorite day. Well, one of my two favorite days of the year. It is deadline day. So there's chaos. There's rumors. There's nonsense. There's spoofers with catchphrases throwing out tweets left, right, and center. Uh, But we'll get to that. So we'll jump into the games. First game of the weekend, Newcastle 2, Everton 0. Big, big win for Newcastle. Going to Goodison Park, facing a team in form. Newcastle had no wins in 11 games. They were absolutely terrible going into this game. But they get a big win, which is massively important because of how other results went this weekend. Everton... Just a very flat, disappointing performance. Not really sure what Carlo was thinking going with Sigurdsson in central midfield with Decore. Everton lacked any kind of energy, any kind of impetus from midfield. I didn't like the way he changed the back four either. I can see why he did it. He went with Coleman and Dini as fullbacks, banking on Newcastle sitting in, being more defensive. But Newcastle played a diamond in midfield, which was new for them this season. They had a bit more ball progression. They were a little bit more inventive and a little bit more, I don't know, uh, ambitious, maybe. (laughs) It was strange. It was a very strange game of football. Everton did dominate the game for large periods, but didn't really create anything of note. Didn't really trouble the goalkeeper. Both keepers made decent saves in the first half. Uh, But aside from that, it was a lot of empty possession from Everton. Newcastle get their their first goal with Callum Wilson uh, scoring a great header. And then he finishes off in stoppage time, getting through 1v1 and burying it past Jordan Pickford and his little arms. Uh, Disappointing for Everton. I think this was the game they really would have expected to win. They dropped to eighth in the league, having looked like they were climbing towards top four. They've gone backwards here. Uh, that's two defeats in the last five, only two wins in the last five. You'd, you'd hope that Carlo turns that back around and gets them going back up. But this this is the second dip they've had. They had that one earlier in the season after the great start. They had that dip. Then they roared back. You'll hope that they'll roar back after this little dip as well. Uh, for Newcastle, uh, 15th in the league, 
this is a big, big win. If they hadn't won this game, they'd currently be sitting in 17th. Because Brighton won at the weekend, they would have dropped below Brighton. Now, there's still only a point above Brighton, but they have moved also above Burnley. They're a point behind... A point, uh, sorry, the level on points with them, but they are above them based on more goals scored. They have the same goal difference. They're only a point off Wolves, but look, it's it's the, hopefully for, for Newcastle fans, it's the start of a little bit of a run here. They desperately needed this win. I mean, their form had been so, so poor. It was great for them to get Wilson back, scoring goals. He's so important to them. They went with that diamond, like I mentioned, uh, Isaac Hayden back in midfield where he belongs, at the base of it, Shelby and Hendrick in the engine, and uh, Miguel Almiron as the 10, and it worked really well and caused Everton some problems. They struggled to cope with the shape and the extra man in midfield. So maybe we see Newcastle stick with that. Uh, it will be interesting to see if that's what they retain over the next few weeks. Say maximum, another sub appearance. It looks like he'll start now in midweek, probably coming in for Ryan Fraser. Uh, so yeah, that's another plus for them because he's he's a very talented player and he's very important to them. Moving on, Crystal Palace won, Wolves nil. A decent game of football. There was some some good creative football from the likes of Eberi Chiesi, from the likes of uh, Pedro Neto. I thought William Jose had some good touches and some good moments in the game and his first kind of real action for for uh, for Wolves the lack of um, Ruben Neves in midfield and the fact that they didn't bring him on was very very strange really not sure what the plan was from Nuno here at all but Wolves have been terrible for quite a while now that's three defeats in five no wins in the last five and they're losing to teams in the bottom half, which is a concern for them. Different when you're losing to teams at the top end of the table. When you're losing to teams in and around you that you should be beating, that's where you start to get concerned. I've been saying I, I don't know that Nuno's long for that job. Uh, negative nine goal differential, only scored 21 in the league this season. It's just not acceptable, given the backing he's had, given the amount of money that's been invested in that squad and the talent that's there. Palace... Now, three points clear of Wolves. Their 13th Wolves are 14th, but two wins in five and a draw. So, you know, it's how Hodgie rolls. He is well on target for his 45 points this year. He will be more than happy with 13th position. There's so many good signs about that Palace team when Eze and, and Zaha are in the mood that you really hope they get the the next managerial appointment right. I think Eddie Howe could do a really good job there. He obviously has flaws and needs to work on the defensive side of things, but he's a very inventive attacking manager. And if he can get those two in particular heavily involved in everything, especially in a possession-based style, Palace can, can start to build something decent there. Uh, moving on, we had Manchester City 1, Sheffield United 0. City just controlled the game. There's not a whole bunch to say. They were dominant in every area. They gave Aaron Ramsdale plenty to do. Even without Aguero, even without De Bruyne, they just controlled the game, always looked the more dangerous team. 
little bit of luck on their goal because Sheffield United defence just completely switched off. Uh, Jaden Bogle got beaten too easily. Ethan Ampadu didn't cover a cross well enough and Gabby Jesus somehow found himself six yards from goal and completely unmarked. Sheffield United were dogged. They were determined. There was more fight in them. The win, obviously, over United helped. The win over Newcastle helped. They've got a bit more confidence now off the back of the little cup run as well. So they didn't fold in this game, and that was kind of my concern. I did suggest maybe a 5-0 to City here. But Sheffield United never gave in. They never gave up, and that's that's a good positive sign for them. That really is a positive sign for them. Like I said, Ramsdale made a number of good saves, and that will do his confidence the world of good as well. A couple of them were really, really top-drawer saves. But City roll on, top of the league. Three points clear now with a game in hand. That game in hand is against Everton, so they will fancy their chances of winning the game, though it won't be easy. Um, For Sheffield United, obviously, they stay nailed to the bottom, but they are only four points off West Brom. So it's not all doom and gloom. They, you know, I don't think they're going to stay up. I don't think they've got much chance of staying up. They're 13 points behind Brighton. But at least they have an opportunity to not finish bottom. And that needs to be the goal. Just don't finish bottom. No matter what. Always have a goal that you're working towards. And for them, don't finish bottom. Simple as. Uh, West Brom 2, Fulham 2. This was a good game of football. Uh, Bobby Reid put Fulham 1-0 up. Then should have doubled it and put them 2-0 up. Hits the post when put through on goal. West Brom fight back. Kyle Bartley uh, gets the first. And then Mateus Pereira, a lovely little dinked finish, gets the second before Ivan Cavaliero makes it 2-2. Now, a couple of things on this game. Fulham dominated possession, had the better chances, created better chances, and really should have had this game dead and buried by halftime. Really should have had this game dead and buried by halftime. Um, missed a number of good chances. Their goal was was excellent. The first goal, the read goal, uh, good work from Adamola Luckman, good work from Mitrovic, and a nice simple ball through for Bobby Reed to just stroll on and hit. Really well-worked goal. And it showed how how easy they were finding it to cut that West Brom defence apart. Uh, West Brom, once again, going with a back three that you might as well have not had anybody out there. They were all over the place. Uh, Sam, Sam Johnston made one great save in, in the first half and to keep them in it. But for some reason, in the second half, Fulham just let the foot off the gas, kind of fell apart a little bit, didn't seem to have the same impetus, the same drive, um, and let West Brom back into it. And West Brom could easily have won that game. Uh, one thing to point out, Carolyn Grant. Now, I rely on certain sites for certain information to do this podcast, and one of them is premierinjuries.com uh, for any injury-related news, because they've normally been very reliable, but they have been bizarrely off a number of times this season and the grant is grant one is one of them they had him down as being completely ruled out for this game and having a broken foot and potentially been out till march and yet here he is on the bench coming on and looking absolutely fine so uh you might want to get your act together there lads if uh if i'm looking at the site you can be guaranteed lots of other people are looking at it as well because um it takes me so much longer to find things on the internet than most other people um anyway this is a big lost opportunity for Fulham. They needed the win here, having you know had the draw with Brighton. 
in um, in midweek. I, I that's another dropped two points. It's another failed opportunity to cl- climb the way back up towards safety. I'm going to say it till I'm blue in the face. They need a real manager. They need a real manager. They cannot stick with Scott Parker. They're seven points behind Brighton. They do have a game in hand, but I think it's against Villa, which is not going to be an easy game at all. Um, They need a real manager. They cannot go any further with Scott Parker. They have to make a change. They are been linked with Josh Maja, the former Sunderland striker who has been, I think, at Bordeaux. Uh, He's very, very talented, so he might add some goals to this team. I think it's going to be a loan with an an option to buy, like most of their signings. Um, They have to make a change. Rafa Benitez is available, and he's a great manager. You still have an opportunity. Despite the win, Newcastle are still terrible, and they will still lose a lot of games. It's only eight points to Newcastle, and you have a game in hand. You can make that up, no problem. They've got to make a change. They just have to make a change. There's just nothing, no other way to look at it. Scott Parker needs to go. It's as simple as that. Uh, good point for West Brom, but you know, look, they're they're nineteenth. It, it stops the rot of getting walloped at home, but it doesn't really accomplish much more than that for them. Uh, stinker of the weekend took place Saturday evening. Manchester United nil, Arsenal nil. Both goalkeepers made good saves. Both teams missed good chances. Both teams hit the woodwork. Lacazette, very unlucky with that free kick. But it was just a very dour game. Again, United turning up for a big game and you're parking the bus, not showing any ambition, not playing with any kind of desire or confidence. Uh, Bruno Fernandes has another poor performance, so there's no match winner on that United team. Paul Pogba might as well not have made the trip. Absolutely hopeless performance from him. Absolutely diabolical. Um, it's another good point for Arsenal. It's a far better point for them than it is for United and keeps them... In the top half, they stay 10th, unbeaten in five, three wins in that time. Things are going better for Arsenal now. They are they are a team on the up, I think. And uh, as, as I said before, I, I still think they'll finish maybe not top six, but maybe seventh, seventh, eighth, I think. And, and that is fine. Keep having your good run in the Europa League. Go again in the summer, get a couple more players in and keep building on what you've done. They've done good work this month, getting rid of Socrates, getting rid of Ozil, getting out, get those contracts off the books. Looks like Mustafi's leaving today as well to go to Schalke. So all things considered, Arsenal are they're, they're moving in the right direction. They got Odegaard in; it's a great signing. Um, I would have, I would have liked to have seen him get more time in this game. Uh, I didn't think Willian as the first sub was really the best move that Arteta could have made given he's been tragically poor all season. Came on, missed a great chance. Um, But all things considered, Arsenal can be happy. United should not be happy with how they're performing in big games. Their fans should not be happy at all. I think Ollie's very lucky that there's no fans in the stadium when it comes to performances like that. But they stay second. 
Um, the, you know, it's weird though. They're second in the table, but I'm almost certain I was told they'd won the league when they beat Liverpool in the FA Cup. That's what United fans in my mentions on social media uh, were telling me that they'd basically won the league by beating Liverpool in the FA Cup. They were six points clear of Liverpool at that time. Uh, that is down to one point. So that's only going in one direction. Um, final game of Saturday then was Southampton nil. Aston Villa won and if we can just all agree that Southampton got robbed that would save us quite a lot of uh, hand-wringing and complaining and swear words two insane calls against them absolutely insane calls against them so Villa go one up through Ross Barkley a really good cross from um Jack will uh, Jack Grealish put a brilliant header from from uh, Barkley on the stretch, heads it back the way it was coming away from the goalkeeper, gives Alex McCarthy no chance. But Southampton dominated this game, absolutely dominated this game. Had most of the ball, most of the chances, and then Danny Ings works a bit of magic, squares the ball. There's a shot from Armstrong from probably 14 yards out. Looks like it's on its way to the net. Hits the arm of Matty Cash. The VAR looked at it about 40 times. It's a clear handball. And he doesn't give it. And the logic we're given is, oh, it hit his thigh. Well, none of the replays seem to show that. To my eyes, anyway. I didn't see that. And if it did, it was the slightest of touches and didn't affect the traje- t- trajectory of the ball. His arm was out in an unnatural position. It should have been a penalty. It just should have been a penalty. And then, Danny Ings equalizes. And it's ruled out because once again, his arm is in an offside position. The part of his body that he can't score a goal with is in an offside position. It's just such a stupid rule. It doesn't look offside to me. Anytime we see these type of offsides, the line that, that's drawn on the player's arm is somewhere different. It's either in the armpit, it's on the sleeve, it's down to his elbow, it's everywhere. It's all over the place. It's nonsense. That was a perfectly fine goal that's chalked off. Southampton are denied a point. They should have won the game. They should have had a penalty, which probably would have meant, meant Matty Cash sent off, and they should have got that Ings goal allowed. Uh, Southampton can feel rightly peeved about that. Um, Emmy Martinez made some great saves and credit to him. A couple of world-class saves in that game. He's been arguably the best keeper in the league this season. Uh, Villa up to ninth. They do still have a couple of games in hand as well. So going well. Um, they've obviously brought in Morgan Sanson this month. So that will give them more quality in midfield. For Southampton, three defeats in a row. But this is this one has to sting. They do have a game in hand on Arsenal, so they can still jump back into the top half with a win in that one. But I think they will feel very, very put out by this. It was just a very poor officiating deci- uh, decision on both of them. Both of them were terrible. Um, 
Esri Conza, once again, I mean, can we just take a moment and realise that this this guy is England's best centre-back right now? And it's not particularly close. And if he's not in the next England squad, there's something drastically wrong with how the England squad is being picked. Because, to be fair, there's something drastically wrong with how the England squad is picked anyway. And I was thinking about this over the weekend. Like, if you were to pick the England team right now, based on form this season, so not not just this week, this month, this season, which is 20-plus games, 25-plus games in all competition, it would look drastically different to the actual England team. Jordan Pickford would not be in the in goal. Nick Pope would be in goal. Trent Alexander-Arnold would not be the right back. James Justin would be the right back. Luke Shaw would be the left back. Konza and Tarkovsky would be the centre-back pairing. It's not ideal. Tarkovsky better on the right, as is Konza, but they are the two best centre-backs right now based on current form available to Garrett Southgate. In midfield, I think it's two from three. Declan Rice has been very, very good for Villa, or for, for Villa, for West Ham most of the season. Calvin Phillips has been very, very good for Leeds. And Jude Bellingham has been really good for Dortmund, and I think is worth consideration. I'd probably go with the other two. I'd probably go with Rice and Phillips. It's not the perfect pairing, but I do think it's a pairing you could make work. But based on current form, those two should be the centre midfield pairing. In front of them, Sancho, automatic, has to be in on the right-hand side. He's been brilliant. Grealish, credit to him. Grealish would be in that three. And I think Harvey Barnes would be the third. Harry Kane would be up front, obviously. But based on current form, that's what your England team would be. There's what? Three of them that will actually be in the England team when Southgate picks it? At most? Kane, Sancho, Rice? I don't see anybody else being in the team. Grealish will be a squad player. Barnes not may not make the squad. Phillips may not make the squad. He might, yeah, if he makes the squad, it'll be him or or Rice. He won't play both of them. Konza at best will be a sub. Tarkovsky probably won't make the squad. I uh, don't know about Justin, but he, I mean he, James Justin, James Justin and Ezri Konza are the two best English defenders right now, and it's not particularly close. It really isn't particularly close, based on form this season. Those two are a level above everybody else. Uh, like I say, Luke Shaw, he's been very, very good for United. Under the radar, uh, played left-back, played centre-back in a three. He's He's been a consistently good performer for United. When the fellow next to him who cost £85 million is regularly all over the place, Luke Shaw is, is consistently good. And as I say, Pope, I mean, how Pickford is the England keeper, I have no idea. I really don't know. It's one of the strangest things phenomenons in football is the belief that Jordan Pickford is a good goalkeeper despite years 
of proof that he's not. Uh, moving into Sunday's games. Chelsea get their first win under Thomas Tuchel. A 2-0 victory over Burnley. Again, they went with the back three and Hudson-Odoi played as a wing-back. Now, when I say he played as a wing-back, he did zero defending in this game and spent most of his game in, in the Burnley final third. Uh, but he was very, very good. He was very, very effective. Um, Chelsea just looked very dominant. They had an absolute ton of the ball, 72%, created 19 shots on goal, six on, uh, sorry, eight on target. Burnley had one shot in the game. None on target, which will tell you, you know, where most of their game was spent. Um, just a very comprehensive performance. They get goals from defenders in Aspilicueta in the first half and Alonso late on. Both goals did seem to come as Burnley were getting tired, though. So it is a little bit worrying for Chelsea that they weren't creating great chances for their attackers. Timo Werner did have one good chance and, and miskicked it. Uh, he looked like a player shot of confidence completely. But what I will say is they had a lot more pace and movement up front in this game than they did midweek against Wolves. Most of the defence midfield, that was the same. He changed the attack around. He went with Mount and Werner behind Abraham as opposed to Zayic and Havertz behind Giroud. And this worked better, I thought, uh, just in terms of movement and, and diversity. Chelsea uh, up to seventh in the league. Burnley stay six, uh, sorry, drop the six deep because Newcastle uh, beat Everton. But I mean, this was a game I think we all expected Chelsea to win. I, I believe that's one of the few that I predicted correctly over the weekend. So yeah, that's that's a, a solid victory for Chelsea, but much harder tests to come. Uh, Leicester won, leads three. Patrick Bamford with the perfect uh, centre forwards performance gets himself a goal, has two assists. The assist for the Jack Harrison goal is a rarity in modern football uh, when it comes to centre-forward play. That was a great performance from Bamford. Led the line well, ran in off the back of the Leicester defenders, constantly caused them all kinds of problems. If he was 10% better at everything, he'd be absolutely brilliant. Because he's decent at everything. He's not... There's things he's good at, but he's not good at everything. But he's decent at everything. He doesn't really have a weak point in his game. But if he had 10% more in all areas, he would be great. Uh, he's just really well-rounded. He's a really good player. And while I'm not sure he's the long-term solution for Leeds up front, he's definitely a player who's finally proven that he belongs in the Premier League. Um, Leicester will be disappointed with this one. Obviously, having gone 1-0 up through Harvey Barnes, they just looked a little bit blunt, unfortunately, for them. They just looked a little bit blunt through this game. Uh, no Jamie Vardy meant no cutting edge. Madison and Barnes did their best to be creative. And Didi was a massive blow in midfield as well, not having him there because he shields the defence much better. I'm not overly sold on um, on Mendy. So, you know, just not having Ndidi there is a, is a big loss. But for Leeds, they go from strength to strength. That is back-to-back victories up to 12th in the league. And they're going to be very, very comfortable this season. They really are. Even with the lack of centre-backs, they're going to be absolutely fine. They have no problems. Leicester dropped to fourth behind Liverpool. Um, this is about the time last season that the wheels fell off the bus for them. So... Keep an eye on them for the next few weeks. That's all I'm going to say. Just keep an eye on them for the next few weeks. They've got a couple of tough games coming up. Um, 
Fulham midweek, but then it gets a little bit tougher. Uh, Wolves away, Liverpool, Villa away, Arsenal. Those are difficult games. That's a that's a tough run through uh, through February for for them, considering they've got FA Cup and a Europa League to be focused on as well. I, I just wouldn't be sure that they'll jump straight back out of that little mini funk they've had. Whenever they get Vardy back, that will be obviously the real test. How do they do with Vardy and the team? And do they pick up any more injuries? Because again, this time last year, they started to get some more injuries. They dealt well with the ones they had in the first half of the season, but we'll see if they can do it again. Uh, Liverpool 3, West Ham 0. A very, very comfortable, comprehensive performance by the Premier League champions. But I have to say, I think David Moyes is just mortally scared of Liverpool at this point. I think the 10 years he spent at Everton scarred him to the point when whenever he sees Liverpool, he just he get, retreats into his shell. West Ham had been playing really well coming into this game. They had four wins on the spin. They were playing good football. They were inventive. They were aggressive, ambitious. He went with the same 11, but a totally different... They looked a totally different team. Totally different game plan. Sat back, tried to thump long balls up to Mikel Antonio. You're just feeding into Nat Phillips. Nat Phillips is a very limited centre-back. The one thing he's good at, he's great in the air. Great in the air. He loves the physical side of it. Why are you playing into his hands? You've got Jordan Henderson standing there. Put Antonio on him. Let's see how he copes with it. Henderson could have played this game in the slippers. By far his best performance at centre-back because he had nothing to do defensively, really, other than sweep the odd thing up. Yarmolenko came on. He's got no pace anymore. Henderson was fine against him. Very, very comfortable afternoon for Liverpool. Very comfortable entirely. Three brilliant goals in the second half. Uh, Curtis Jones makes the first one for Mo Salah. The second is the best counter-attacking goal you're going to see all season. Uh, they break from a corner. Trent Alexander-Arnold, long cross-field ball to Shakiri, And Shakiri moving full speed. First time, this whipped big dipper of a cross. For Salah, whose first touch is a dream. The second one is simple. It's 2-0. And then the third goal, I believe there's 35 passes in the build-up before Bobby Firmino feeds it to Ginny Wijnaldum to make it 3-0. Craig Dawson with the late consolation from a set piece after Liverpool just switched off a little bit. But the game was over at that point. Liverpool up to third back-to-back wins following their bad run. They'll be very, very happy. West Ham uh, stay fifth. But again, they came into the game in such good form. I don't understand why Moyes didn't just go for it. Worst case scenario, you probably get beaten 3-1. You did that anyway. I don't understand what you accomplished by playing such a cowardly brand of football. I really don't. Uh, Final game of the weekend then. Brighton won Tottenham nil, And Brighton were good value for the victory. I did did predict this one. I'm very, very happy for for Graham Potter and for Brighton. That's two wins out of three. And um, it's given them a nice cushion on the bottom three. Leandro Trossard uh, got got the only goal of the game after really good work involving Alex and Pascal Gross. McAllister ran the game, was, I thought, the best player on the pitch. 
just always creative, always inventive, always probing and looking to make things happen. Uh, his passing is, is excellent. The weight of pass is brilliant. Spurs, I, I don't know what to make of them. I really don't. But this is a disaster, as things stand. Uh, for some reason, Mourinho went again with a back three, which didn't work against Liverpool and definitely didn't work here. He played Sissoko as a wing back, which was just a bizarre decision. I really don't understand what he was thinking. Doherty was on the bench. Doherty was on the bench. He said it was a technical decision to drop Serge Aurier. That's nonsense. There's a, there is a real reason, and it's the reason we probably won't see Serge Aurier play again for Spurs. But the decision to play Sissoko instead of Doherty as a wing-back, I mean, it, it's just criminal. Gareth Bale continues to look like the most disinterested man in football. I don't think he cares anymore. And as I've said previously, I, I have heard it reliably that if he wasn't Gareth Bale, they would have cancelled that loan and sent him back because his attitude stinks. And Graham Souness can sit in, the, sit in the studio all he wants and say, well, if I was Gareth Bale, I'd be going knocking on the door. For what? And what would you show to back up your demand to be in the team? Like, your three out of ten performances. Get out of it. Gareth Bale needs to have a long chat with himself and, and get his get his act together because that was a disgraceful performance. Um and Mourinho really needs to consider, you know, if, if he's long for that job because they're not going to stick with him. If they don't get top four, he is I, I can't see that he's there next year. With that level of investment with that squad, how would you not get top four? There's very few managers in the league that wouldn't get top four with that squad. Very few. That is a great squad of players they have there. Like, they play a front three and play Bergvine as the middle one and not Son. Carlos Vinicius, sitting on the bench, comes on, immediately looks like the most dangerous player. But no, Bergvine is the number nine he goes with. And Gareth Bale, who's been trash for... Weeks now. Obviously doesn't try in training. Doesn't try when he plays. He's a waste of a shirt. He's a waste of a shirt. I don't know. Spurs sink. Uh, well, no, they don't sink. They stay. They stay in sixth. Uh, back-to-back defeats. Doesn't look good for them. Um, they need to get their act together. They really, really do. They need to do it soon. And as I say, Brighton, they stay 17th. But the win keeps them... In touch with Newcastle, gets them back closer to Burnley. Means that they should, should, should be fine. Um, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're looking at that group who could be in trouble, you kind of start with Wolves at this point. Wolves, Newcastle, Burnley, Brighton. They're the ones that could get dragged back into the uh, bottom three. But you have to say that Wolves and Newcastle look like the two over the last eight to ten weeks. They look like the two most likely to fall back into that mix, whereas Burnley have been largely trending up, upwards, and Brighton, they just pick up points at the right time. Um, yeah, all things considered, a great win for a great win win for uh, for Brighton. Right, it's deadline day, so let's jump into some transfer stuff. Um, we have a done deals page. 
Max Clark has signed for Hull from Vietas Arnhem. I'm not sure. Winston Reid, for, I forgot he existed. He's gone from West Ham to Brentford. Glenn Murray has signed for Nottingham Forest on a free from Brighton. He'd been on loan for the first half of the season. Uh, Jonas Lossel has left Everton to go to Mithiland. Domingos Quinoa has left Watford to go to Granada. Now, that is interesting because they sacked their last manager in part because he wouldn't play him, and now they've loaned him out. Um, that's all there is of, of note that's done so far today, but there is plenty of gossip. Leicester are interested in signing Watford and England midfielder Nathaniel Chalaba. I have doubts. Um, it wouldn't really make any sense. I mean, they already have Hamza Chowdhury, who they're looking to loan out. Why would you bring him in? He's a good player, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't really make any sense. Liverpool have made an approach from Marseille and Croatia centre-back, Duje Saleta Carr. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool are looking to bring in two centre-backs. They've obviously got Ben Davies from Preston in the works. That one looks like it should get done in the next hour or so. It looks like it's going to be Ozan Kabak rather than Saleta Carr. But there's also the Sven Botman name out there. There's also a couple of others that are apparently been looked at as they touch base with a bunch of defenders. But it looks like Quebec is the one that has the most traction right now. Leicester are set to make a move for Arsenal. Uh, and in- Arsenal and England defender or midfielder Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Southampton, West Brom and Newcastle all also interested. Another right-footed right-back slash right-wing-back. Because the three they have aren't enough. That would be a strange one. I don't believe for a second that that's the truth. I think Southampton's the move for him. I think that's probably where he ends up. Paris Saint-Germain, Senegal midfielder Idrissa Ganagay has turned down the chance to join Newcastle on loan. Uh, I probably would as well. Uh, as well, uh, uh, Marcus Rojo and Phil Jones um, look set to leave Manchester United. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer has been instructed to sell them and Sergio Romero, or Romero to free up funds to sign a defender this summer. Now, let's be, let's be clear on this. Rojo is worth nothing. He's out of contract, I think, in the summer. He has been awful for years. You loaned him out last year with a very low, buy, uh, low buying clause, and he was sent back to you. And he's been so far buried on your bench this year, he hasn't even been to the stadium. So you're getting no money for him. I think Romero's in the same boat. He's out of contract. He's not registered in your squad. You're getting no money for him. And while Phil Jones has a couple of years left in his contract, he hasn't played in a substantial period of time, certainly not regularly. He hasn't played regularly since... I mean, Mourinho put him in the team for a while, but that was early on. You're getting no money from him. You're going to have to loan him out. You're not funding a defender by selling those three. Let's be absolutely clear on that. Um, Christian Eriksen, who's been linked to the move back to Tottenham, could stay at Inter Milan beyond the transfer deadline and play an important role, which is a complete 180 from where they were on him a week ago. But he did score a goal, uh, and by all accounts, the relationship with him and Conte has improved a little bit. 
Former Tottenham boss Mauricio Pochettino wants to bring Sergio Ramos to PSG in the summer. I can't think of many worse signings. I just can't. He's going to want stupid wages, can't defend, his legs are going, and I would imagine he's not the best person to bring into your dressing room because his ego probably won't fit in your dressing room, especially with Neymar already there. RB Leipzig centre-back Deot Upamecano could be set to arrive in the Premier League as his agent says he will choose between two top English clubs and Bayern Munich. I think the top English clubs are meant to be Liverpool and Chelsea, though Liverpool's preferred target is his teammate, Ibrahima Kanate. I think he goes to Bayern, if I'm honest. I think it's the deal that makes the most sense for him and for them. This is good. Tottenham midfielder Tanguy Ndombele has revealed that France teammate Kylian Mbappe has tried to convince him to join him at Paris Saint-Germain. That's great considering Mbappe isn't signing a new contract or hasn't made any move to sign a new contract and is, by all accounts, looking at leaving in the summer. West Brom want to sign two players on transfer deadline day and are interested in Okai Yuskalski Yukuzlu from Celta Vigo, a Turkish defender. I have no idea who he is. And English right-back Jaffet Tanganga from Spurs. Jaffet Tanganga is very, very good, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's a bit late now, lads. And you, you probably could have done with this four weeks ago. Um, DeAndre Yedlin is set to complete a move to Galatasaray. It's a good move for Newcastle to get him out the door because he's just not very good. Southampton are in talks with Chelsea over a loan move for Billy Gilmore. Yeah, Billy Gilmore needs a loan. He's not going to get many minutes under Tuchel, uh, not this season anyway. He needs to go somewhere and play. I don't know if he'll get enough games to Southampton, though. I think a championship loan is probably the best move for him now. Newcastle are keen to sign Leicester's midfielder Hamza Chowdhury on loan until the end of the season. Burnley are interested in a deadline day move for Bournemouth and Norway striker Josh King. Although wages could be a stumbling block, there's always a stumbling block. When it comes to Burnley, there's always a stumbling block because there's just a level of cheap there that you just can't shake off. Watford have opened talks with Newcastle over a loan deal for Matty Longstaff. Makes sense. He's not going to get games there at the moment. Uh, Manchester City are in talks with Fluminense to sign Brazilian midfielders Keikai and Matinho. But the South American club want more than the 15 million package they've been offered. Uh, the KKI kid, Liverpool apparently like him as well. There's a bunch of clubs been linked with him. Who knows? Uh, Brighton's Glenn Murray, who's been on loan at Watford, is expected to complete a permanent move to Nottingham Forest. That one has happened. Blackburn want to sign Man City's English centre back Taylor Haywood Bellis, Harwood Bellis, on loan. Send him there. They're doing a great job developing Harvey Elliott. If they can do the same for you, send all your young players to uh, to Blackburn. Southampton boss Ralph Hasenhutl has said Saints do not have the money to sign the players he wants. That sounds like the start of what's going to become a protracted beef, to be honest. Um, I, I, I saw the comments and, and heard him say them. and The way he said it, it sounded like he was... He was picking a fight, to be totally honest with you. Huddersfield want to sign uh, Stoke City's English striker, Lee Gregory. Great. 
Uh, Manchester City's Dutch winger Jaden Braff is set to join Udinese on loan for the rest of the season. Spoofer with a catchphrase in the mud. He said he was going to Dortmund uh, in a now deleted tweet. Um, Braff is a good, talented player. And look, Udinese are not very good. But if he goes there and gets regular game time, that will help him. His contract is up soon enough, though, as far as I'm aware. And he was stalling on signing a new one. No, he's got two years left on his contract, but he has he has stalled on signing new one. There was rumours that he was going to leave this summer. I still think he probably will. I still think he'll push his way out the door one way or another. Uh, he's managed by Stellar Football Group, who are one of the bigger agencies in the world. Um, I, I'd imagine there's enough power there to get him out the door if he wants to go. So that is that. That is everything happening at the moment. Um, Phil McNulty has said Liverpool are spinning plates. The best summary of Liverpool's current transfer activity this morning is that they're spinning a lot of plates. With Schalke's young Ozan Kabak, definitely one of the pieces of crockery. They're exploring deals including uh, uh, Saleta Carr, but does seem to be increasingly likely they will sign a second centre-back to go with Ben Davies. One added bit of intrigue to Liverpool's interest in Quebec is that the success of it may depend on whether Schalke sign a replacement. They are strongly linked with Mustafi, who has also figured in Liverpool's discussion, discussions. Yeah, that, that seems like what it's going to be. Uh, Mustafi will go to Schalke, probably on loan, and Quebec will come to Liverpool. Um, and that's it. That is everything for today. I think tomorrow we probably have a bit more to talk about. Newcastle apparently pursuing Joe Willock uh, from Arsenal. So they're definitely trying to get a midfielder in. And apparently they may want both of them, both him and Hamza Chowdhury. Um, Burnley have had a 7.5 million offer for Nathan Collins of Stoke, rejected over the weekend. I think Stoke won 10 million for him. He's a very, very promising young centre-back. Very promising. I would hope to see him arrive at, at Burnley. He's a good player. He would he will develop really well. They're under Dyche. I'd be in favour of that one happening. Uh, and that appears to be all we have at the moment. It is quarter past one on Monday. So, you know, we'll have more tomorrow. That's all I can really say. We'll have more tomorrow. We'll, we'll go through everything that happens when and if it happens. And... Um, yeah, that's it. That's us for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you for your support. Thank you for sharing the podcast with your friends. Please continue to do so. Tell everybody. That's what we need. Tell everybody. Uh, thanks to Guy, as always. Sorry about my voice. It is a little bit tragic. It may be worse tomorrow because I am on. I think I'm on every podcast in the world today. Uh, I will speak to you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves and goodbye. Podcast Network.